0: We went through a transformation. We went through an aha moment of saying, why wouldn't they teach me the specifications of business before they taught me the specifications of the engine? I mean, here we were laying off thousands and thousands of people because we had no money. And I can't remember once in 14 years did they ever tell me my job was about money.
1: Hello everybody, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Suits and Shoes. Today we have extraordinary leader, founder and CEO of SRC, Jack Stack. Uh, Jack has accomplished so much in his career, uh, tremendous impact on manufacturing. I think redefined business across all industries, uh, along with, I recently saw a post on your website that you guys are about half a billion in revenue across all of your businesses. And Jack, that's, uh, that's extraordinary. What does it take to be Jack Stack? Oh, <laughs> lucky yeah. to a certain degree. I think a hunger to continually learn and
0: realize that it never stops and it, it can be a really thrilling adventure and, and a discovery process. And yeah. I don't think there's ever been a time that I really think that I've gotten to the point
1: of understanding anything. Wow. But it's really important to try to strive to find out as much as you possibly can. I love that. I'd like to start at the beginning of your journey. Uh, someone like me, I've, I've read, you know, your books countless of times. If you look, it's all highlighted in notes, but I really want to... Um, you know target the younger generation and share your story with them so you you're working for a manufacturer that is going out of business and yeah. how did you how did you take those first steps and what were they i worked for a fortune 500 company for 14 years and they been they were very good to me i was in
0: manufacturing and did everything from the mailroom all the way to being a superintendent of assembly of trucks and tractors and you know, and in that particular point of time, I was always taught how to build something, All right. I was taught to build a, a product. Um, I had my little Barry Mary band of departments and people, and they were manufacturing guys, and we were united from the standpoint is that we all set goals together, and we, we really got through life, okay, by these little wins and these little victories, right? And then one day, they sent me down to Springfield, Missouri, I had my own factory, and uh, we put that factory together under the same principles of transparency and making a difference and teaching people the right things about business, and then we hit a bad snag in the economy. Okay, 83 was a disaster. It was probably the second worst recession that we had ever had, and all of a sudden, the company had to liquidate assets in order to be able to pay down debt. We went on a a layoff of 1,000 people a week for two years. Okay. Wow. We went from one hundred and fifteen thousand people to eleven wow, and we just wiped out cities and towns and communities and we lived through a two year catastrophic devastation, you know it was it was just brutal I was running a factory down here and we we're getting all the press okay we're getting the six thousand people that get laid off in Louisville we get the five thousand people that get laid off in Memphis and then I would go out on the shop floor and people would ask me questions like should I get married should I buy a car Wow am I going to have a future you know what should I do they were panicking because unemployment was 12%, interest was at that time hitting 22%. Okay, wow. if you think things were tough today,
1: <laughs> 22%
0: interest. Yeah, 22% interest wow. was the high, okay, in 1982. And um we were we 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 were not involved in the um sh- the the when they diversified the business, okay, but they shut down the big companies first and we were a small company, right? So you get the big eyes good, but you can see it coming at you, right? And the people are beginning to panic. And then finally, you know, I decided to have a meeting with our people. And I went to them, and I said, look, don't get married. <laughs> don't buy a car. Wow. Well, the economic reality is is that they're we're not part of the core businesses. Now, what are we going to do about it? Okay, let's quit fretting. Let's quit worrying about, you know. So I was so distraught because I was the one that had to lay everybody off, right? I didn't want to lay everybody off. <laughs> yeah. So I went to them and I said, i got to show them something. And so I called a meeting, and I said, you guys. I said, don't get, don't get married. Don't buy a car. You know, save your money. Let's figure out what the next steps are. And I said, or do you want to try to buy the company? And I did that in hopes that somebody would say that you don't know anything about running a company. Why would I want to follow you? I didn't realize how afraid they were that they basically would have followed anybody that said anything at that time. Yeah. So here I am, I'm ended up now telling the people that we're gonna go make a <laughs> run at buying a company and I don't know anything about a company. Wow. I knew how to build engines, I built engines all my life. Okay. I could build an engine and I was an engine builder, but I was not a business builder. And I never had been taught business in the fourteen years that I've been there. The my business was the engine. Yeah. So I go out to try to borrow money now to save jobs, and what do I get is I get a marketplace that is asking me, I brought my engine specifications in terms of my business plan, okay? I said, look. <laughs> to the bank. Oh, yeah. I didn't know, look, business plans? What's <laughs> a business plan? Marketing plans? What's a marketing plan? I built really good engines. I'm trying to save jobs. That was my two missions to the bank. I thought I'd get them on the sympathy, and I thought I'd get them on the professionalism, and they could care less. Wow. So they start asking me other questions. And one of the questions, which is comical, is they would say, well, when do you expect to pay that money back? And I went there and I said, wow, good question. I said, <laughs> I didn't, I was so economically literate. I didn't know you were supposed to pay the money back. I thought you could pay the interest <laughs> expense, but I had no idea that I was yeah. supposed to pay the money back. So they looked at me like I was the biggest fool in town, right? They said, why don't you come back, little kid, when you grow up and, you know, when you can talk the game and we're not going to take your rent and billing skills for a down payment. And yeah, so I've really listen to them and i begin to realize that there are two sets of specifications in this world there's a specification on an engine there's a specification on business mm-hmm. these guys these smart guys were controlling the capital based on they their knowledge of what were the what were the key metric systems of a company okay and so when they were looking at things like debt to equity okay return on assets and It was a language I had no idea that was even out there. In the 14 years, literally supervising thousands and thousands of people, we never talked in income, we never talked in costs, and we never talked in expenses. I thought inventory was just pieces. And so when you go out to the business world and you start asking, and they start asking for these kind of questions, um, we went back. I tell a lot of young kids today, if you want some of the young kids, you want to get a, a really strong education in terms of business, go borrow an outrageous sum of money, okay? And every time you get turned down, all right, you write that down and you, uh, that's your class, Mm -hmm. all right? So we went to over 50 organizations to borrow money because nobody wanted to lend you money at 18%, okay? Nobody wanted to lend you money at 22%. That's why they raised the interest rate so you wouldn't have access to capital. And so we kept getting denied, denied, denied. And (laughs) we had got to the point where, we are about to give up and a Wall Street Journal came across my desk and it talked about a bank that was in serious trouble because in 83, everybody was in trouble, right? So it talked about a bank and the way the bank had to be able to recover was they had to take on risk. They had to take on, you know, risky loans that they could get high interest rates on and high margins. Well, by that time, we could speak bankees. Okay, I mean, <laughs> we did 50 business plan. Okay, I could speak like a banker. I mean, you wouldn't believe the education that you get to realize and you went through it. I know you went through just it. Just talk. Yeah. yeah, just talking about business, right? Yeah. So when I read the article, I said, my God, this is the bank for us, OK? I mean, if they're looking at risk, they're looking at lousy loans, they're looking at you know, hard margins. And so we went to the bank, and we said, uh, kind of, we said, like, look, I hear you're looking for bad loans. I got a doozy for you, <laughs> OK? I got one if you're looking for it. So we ended up to hit a spot where this bank you know, actually took us to a loan department and then we were able to work with this bank in such a way that we could raise enough capital from the employees to at least have a measly down payment in terms of the money that we wanted to borrow and we were able to come up with the loan and it had to be it had to be divine intervention okay the timing was so right because that bank was in chaos okay they had fired their chairman they had fired their so the moral of the story is, is that if you have a bad loan, go to a bad bank. Okay, here I would spend all this time going to these banks, in their oh, safe. Oh, I love that. You know, so just go to a bad bank.
1: All right. So, that's amazing. Yeah, thank you so much. So you acquired this. You finally got the funding. You acquired the business. You had people believe in you to the extent where they didn't get married. They didn't buy the home. So now, how did you start over? What did you do differently? Okay, so here I go. We. I'm with the, my, all my leadership team and things
0: like that. And like, we're, we've been, we went through a transformation. We went through an aha moment of saying, why wouldn't they teach me the specifications of business before they taught me the specifications of the engine? I mean, here we were laying off thousands and thousands of people because we had no money. And I can't remember once in 14 years did they ever tell me my job was about money. Okay. Wow. And then I thought, and I'm from manufacturing, and I had been to all the schools on productivity and supply chain and I looked at this thing, and I said, why, why do we have two systems? Why do we have a system that tells somebody how to produce something or how to make a service? And then we developed these uh, requirements, you know, these job descriptions, and it's all centered around the product, and it's all centered around the service, with no focus in terms of building an outrageously successful company. And so we said to ourselves, we man, what if we taught to people and told them how they could succeed by applying what it was that the capital people knew, all right, and we could appeal to a higher level of intelligence in our people that instead of building a product, we want you to build a company. Yeah. You know, you heard the story about the bricklayer, and he yeah. goes in and yeah. he lays the bricks, and one person asks him, what are you doing? He says, I'm laying bricks. The next guy says, I'm building a cathedral. We want to build a cathedral. We wanted to build an outrageously successful company So, we felt that if we showed them the financials by which they can evaluate whether this is the place that they want to work and this is the place they want to build, okay, we probably get better engines. Yeah. Okay, (laughs) it wasn't as if we gave them this data and we would go backwards in terms of quality and productivity. What we saw was an increase in productivity. Wow. Because if this is where you want to get to, well, why do you have all these other inferiors? Why do I have to sit there and go, oh, I can't show them this and I can't show them that, even though that is what I really want to get? So I got to dumb them down. OK, now I got to start you know, evaluating on things that are relative to the service and the product. And they all know something's missing. Yeah. I knew something missing for 14 years. I didn't know what it was. Because what I would do is I would go ahead and I'd get my engines and I'd get my job done and I'd go home and then I'd read in the paper that I'm working for a lousy company. Yeah. I couldn't. I, I knew something was missing. So we installed the total objective of what the formula is to be created a successful company. that taught everybody where they made a difference. All your employees. Yeah. Well, what's crazy is an income t- statement touches everybody. It touches everybody. There isn't anything that's left out in an income statement that you can't relate to some job performance in your company. So the whole idea was is that I was going to take every single line of the income statement and I was gonna put a name there. I mean, I had a person that was in sales by the <laughs> name of Bob. You know, Bob had this job description and it was like, call seven people a day, old customers, four people, run the CD, the CD and they, we had CDs at the time, we had DVDs at the time, we had plant tours at the time, and it was all formula-based selling, right? No dollar value in it whatsoever. So now we have the new company, we're gonna fill out our first income. I said, well, I turn it back and go, how much are you gonna sell, Bob? I could care how you're gonna sell it. I don't care how you're getting into that. How done. many DVDs yeah. you're gonna play? <laughs> and Bob goes, "Oh my God, this is the first time I begin to realize yeah. is that I'm and my team's responsible for a million and a half a month. So then it was easy. Then you go to accounting people and go, okay, you guys costed this thing out now.' And I went through that income statement and was blown away that I had spent years writing evaluations on people that had nothing to do with what really the outcome was for the business. And they can't control it. They can't, you know, they can't play an impact on it. They it, can't impact they it. They haven't. Once you peel the onion back and once you show where they fit into the, into the income statement, that's ownership. That's the psychic ownership. That was the distance by which they were missing because they had that. And then what happened is we gave them the power to be able to live to the standard that they established, right? So Bob owned 1.5 a month, all right? He owned it, all right? Wow. And then the Irene owned Inventory, and Joe owned Labor and Overhead, okay? And we, had a, we delegated everything, and we came together as a result of the income statement and balance sheet.
1: Wow. Is that the moment you're like, wow, this is the great game of business? Oh, well, we had—so our backs are up against the wall the first year of business, right?
0: So we have an 89-to-1 debt-to-equity play with a 14% interest. So we owe a million in the first year— just on the loan, right? So we got people together and we said, look, the biggest critical number we gotta get right now is that we gotta get this loan down. Because we're paying 14 cents in the dollar on the loan. So let's teach everybody how they make a difference relative to the loan. So we used debt to equity our first year as a critical number that said, you get debt to equity, we'll fund a bonus pool. Right? We'll teach you how you make a difference on debt to equity Six months later, they dropped $2 million worth of inventory. Wow. At 14%, that's 280000 We gave 140000 to the people because wow. of what they did and booked 140000 in terms
1: of profit. So wow. that's when it exploded. That's like unheard of even in today's <coughs> society. You don't get a job at a, you know, at a Honda or a Toyota, and they don't, they don't teach you that day one. How do you make that impact on a global level? It's common sense, though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, I... I why why do you tell me how it? we're missing it? Okay, <laughs> I,
0: you're sitting there giving me credit for it. I'm just going to tell you that it's the most common sense approach to running a company. Yeah. Why aren't we telling people how the company is evaluated, how the company is put together, teach, teach people how they, they have an impact on creating something outrageously successful, and then have an incentive program that rewards them for the for the value that they create? I mean, this is what the whole system is supposed to be about. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah,
1: trillion dollar question. <laughs> yeah, this is what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah, it's yeah, right. Yeah, that's it's uh, it leaves me for a loss of words because that once that employee knows the impact they have on it, not only do they get more uh, more ideas, they feel like they're influential, they feel like they're more income, they their heroes to their kids, exactly. okay? If they want to bring them on a factory tour. Yes. They want to show and their spouses. And if you're
0: giving them, if you're giving them that marketing information, that sales organization, you're talking to them that they, you'll know that they understand macroeconomics and microeconomics. It pumps them up. It yeah. makes them feel better. But here's the impact of teaching financials. They then take it home,
1: yeah,
0: and they straighten their own financials up. Okay and it's incredible because nobody teaches people how to do a budget, live to a budget, okay? Just understand what debt can really do to you, all right? And so I what I like is the overall effect. And then once it works, our people have cashed out, they've retired, and that money just goes back into the in the community
1: three four times what it was exactly. from what they generated so and quality of life you know we, we talk about quality control oh, yeah. if you have an unhappy employee who's stressed about yeah how to make ends meet how can he or she build a quality product we were dreamers okay we just thought okay
0: if we get people to having enough money to be able to buy a house we've been able to uh, really if we really thought we did something now they want the bass boat. Now they want the escalate. <laughs> now they want your vehicles. Okay. So, but the coolest thing about it is they know how to get it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. They, knew how to, they knew how to get it. They know that there's that ladder you can, you can climb to get it. Well, what they did is they invested, the employees invested $100,000 and they've graded over $300 million wow. in value on that $100,000. Talk about board. a good ROI. <laughs> yeah. So they've been at it for 40 years. They've been profitable for 39. So yeah. they, they know the game works, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. You recently gave me the opportunity of having lunch with your exec team. Yeah. Wonderful group. Yeah, they taught the world to you too. Yes, yeah, so thank you. <laughs> how, how do you how do you uh, how do you gather such a golden group of a players? Oh, I just trust them as adults. Yeah. <laughs> you know?
0: I mean, I, I, they're like my kids. Okay, you just try to teach them the right thing to do,
1: and they, Yeah. And it's always coming back to doing the right thing, right? That's awesome. Yeah. It's it's hard. You know, that's a question people ask me all the time, Pablo. Where do you find good talent? Where do you find good talent? Yeah. Uh, for us, you know, we've had a lot of Ukrainians come here as refugees. Yeah. And yeah. I, I always say Springfield, Missouri. You know, we don't have as many people here that want to be influencers and want to be, yeah. you know, whatever people want to be today. Work from home. You yeah. know, we still have a lot of talent here that wants to put in the work yeah. um, through your experiences as you're, or you're scaling these companies. What do you think was the key factor other than luck? You mentioned luck. What was the key factor to be able to scale so many different divisions of SRC? Talent development. Talent. I mean you know, when we were running uh, the education process, we have a we have a,
0: we have a, a system, we call it the game. Okay. We we it's it's nice to hear all this thing about we're founders of open book management, we call it the great game business. Press people do that, okay? Yeah. We get all those names from Somebody writing an article about us opening up our books and showing our people how they can succeed, OK? And then showing them how they fit and how they made a difference. And somebody else calls all these things. But we we've, we've really, really love to compete, OK? We have people that absolutely love games, and they love challenges, and you know, they're competitors, all right? And if you develop your environment where it's all centered around the positive that you get as a result of having the guts to be able to compete, that's a significant award, okay? That's a significant feeling, it's a significant achievement. So we do a lot of celebrating, we do a lot of rewarding, we have great parties, yeah. okay? <laughs> Only from the standpoint of after we've been able to accomplish
1: something that makes yeah. a significant difference, okay? That's extraordinary. Yeah. Business has an overlap uh, with politics and without getting into too many details, yeah. um, the younger generation that I've, I've had the opportunity to mentor and work with, Um, They kind of look at it from a glamorous and incorrect view. Uh, Politics or business? uh, Where politics and business cross. Yeah, right. So what what, what advice do you have today for the younger generation? What relationship should business have with politics or politicians? You know, it's really funny that you say that. Um, I've recently
0: taken a a short-term assignment, okay, to work with a business school. Yeah. And so I've been going into the business school, okay, with some of the philosophies of business, uh, that you are doing, I'm doing. Okay, some of the things that we've learned. So I walk in. And I've been there like seven or eight times right now. And I, when you when you're in manufacturing, you have a tendency to do things like count things. Right? I yeah. don't know how you, I don't know how you are around your kitchen. Okay, but my my mind is so manufacturing oriented. I never want to do more than one move. I mean, if I move something from the stove and I go to the refrigerator and I had to make two steps, I want to kick myself in the ass. Yeah, or, yeah. I don't know, it's a weird mind, right? Okay, it's all about figuring out how to do things really fast and quick. Yeah, And so that's where we, that's a very, very, very bad thing. So I go over to this uh, business school. I'm over 34 on eye contact. Kids are walking around and I'm, you know, when you, if you run a factory and you don't go there and go eyeball eyeball with your people, all right, you were missing one of the most significant opportunities. And I, I'm a, I'm, if you don't say hello to me, I go right and say hello to you. Okay. Yeah. I just go right in your face and say, hello. Yeah. Okay, hi. <laughs> okay, speak back. Now, you got to be careful because if you miss somebody, then they come <laughs> at you and so say, is he mad at me? or anything like that? So our company is like, we say hi, right? Yeah. I'm over 35 right now on my, you know, counting kids, right? I got one, I say hi, I got one, they, t- here's the, they take out their earphones, right, or their uh, pods. And they go, what'd you say? I said, well, I said, hi. And they, they go, well, this is the weirdest guy I've ever seen in my entire life. Right. They're, into the, the, they're into their phones, they're into the iPad. I just got my first one that looked me in the eye t- this morning. So like, now I'm one for 37. OK, so it's like, wow. oh, this is, this is what's coming at us. OK, yeah. just. An entire generation. Oh, God, I can't create, can't we just create niceties? Can we yeah. recognize people? Can we go back to
1: saying hello on the streets without thinking someone's going to mug me from behind? OK, yeah. it's just like. So do you think businesses should have that relationship and open channel communications with politicians? yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, I do. You've met in your life three presidents, probably more governors than there, than I could probably count. Yeah, What's yeah. your relationship been there like?
0: i i I'm pretty independent, okay i mean, I'm, I, mean I, I don't have i don't I just look at it as i I'm a believer in the free market enterprise, okay. I just think that at the end of the day. That's the only salvation, that's the only leveling between the haves and the have nots. That's the only hope we ever have. And if somebody is messing with the free market where they're putting regulations where somebody gets a favor against somebody else, okay, then I really, really go into some action. Okay. But if I look at someone that's really, really wanting to create more jobs and wanting to create more opportunities, okay, and kind of try to believe in what the dream was supposed to be about without any kind of influence and regulations, Mm -hmm. that maybe when you have a problem relative to putting up a factory, they're working on your side, not trying to distance you from the debt that you have to pay and the markets that you have to perceive, okay? I just,
1: I, I will support, the free market enterprise. That's amazing. Do you have a moment from your uh, business career of where whether it's a former president or governor, maybe the local mayor, have helped you progress in your business? This whole community has been really good to me. That's okay. Amazing. And it's good to me because it's they
0: get, they were good to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, for a long time our city council really worked with our chamber of commerce, our chamber of commerce worked with our school systems and yeah. We had a time that, I'll tell you one thing, everybody was behind you. I'm in most of the parks in the city. I'm, I was there when they developed the east side, okay? We were one of two or three factories that went in there, so we would build the opportunities that we had for people. I mean, there was a re- really, really cool progressive time where everybody came together. We then had some interferences like pandemics and things like that. We kind of spread out in terms of what what the direction we had, but. It was Springfield, Missouri, okay, and the community working
1: together that really promoted us and helped us. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, um, You started uh, early on, you documented it in one book. Then later on in your career, you documented it in another book. What inspired you to write these books? So
0: I, someone asked me how we pay people. and I said, well, we pay people a fair market wage. And then if they do better than market, we have a bonus program. And if they really do better than the, uh, the bonus program, then we have an equity program, all right? And so we have a really, really sophisticated methodology of teaching business by which they can understand equity. And so they flew us out to Cambridge, and they put us in a group of people, and they wanted to absorb us or try to figure out what in the hell. We've Are these never guys heard a pay policy like this yeah. before. You, know, you talk differently than we talk, all right? So then they sent a investigator over here to see how we operated businesses. And then they said, man, we, we can't believe anybody's really giving <laughs> showing their financials to anybody. And they yeah, thought that was, yeah. they thought it was really weird. They wrote a piece on it called The Turnaround on the Inc. magazine. And then as a result of the piece, I got invited to give a speech. And so I went and gave a speech in Cleveland, Ohio. And I had a little room, all right? It was a little room. And uh, people, you know, they started. To, they read the article. They then began to say, You know, I believed in this, but no one ever did it, and I'd like to talk to you about it. It's always been my heart to do, but I don't have my dad told me I couldn't do it, and no one said that this is the right thing to do, and I'd like to know more about it. And the room got full, and then it overflowed, right? So, this really, really brilliant business editor at the time, she was from Dumbleday, she picked up her ideas of books by going to these conventions and seeing, Well, where is everybody? What's everybody looking at, right? So she came out to me and she, after the speech. She said, "Do you want to write a book?" I said, "Lady, I can't write a sentence. <laughs> I won't write a book." And then she said, "Well, what if I gave you seventy-five thousand dollars?" And I said, "Well, how fast do you want this book?" Because <laughs> we needed a crankshaft grinder. Okay, we—you kidding me? Seventy-five grand? I get my I just left the guys out in the shop, and they were screaming for it. So I said, "Okay, we'll take the seventy-five, <laughs> get the crankshaft grinder, and then we then." She said, okay, one condition, though, no, you have to write the book as if you're sitting across the table talking to me, and I don't want text. Mm. So then we went on to try to write the book, and it was all text, and she just hated us, okay? I mean, it was like, no, do it again. <laughs> so then we did it again. No, do it again. So then we, here's how we did it. We just said, okay, she wants it, you know, we're at the table. So we took a <clears throat> take a tape recorder, and we went down to uh, uh, Table Rock, Wow. And I was fishing out the front end of the boat, and my uh, partner was asking questions, mm. and so all of them were, were on the on dictation. We then converted that into print, and then we took that print that we did for thirty hours on the bass
1: boat. Wow! And then we put it in the book. Wow! <laughs> yeah. I am now I now know how to write a book, and millions of listeners are going to know how to write a book. Well, now. one of the translators said, Who were
0: you guys? It sounded like <laughs> <laughs> someone was skiing behind." <laughs> you, you know? I don't know. <laughs> I like got 30 were,
1: hours of fishing on the lake. That was a really cool deal. Yeah, win win. That's yeah, right. extraordinary. exactly. exactly. Uh, now we all know how to write an inspiring book. And it's, I mean, it's sold around the world. Uh, there's a magazine that said you're one of the top 10 strategists. I mean, no, that's, that's all baloney. <laughs> don't go there. See, look at, well, I'm telling you what it was. When people got the book
0: and they read the book, they read it and it sold because it was what in their heart that nobody tapped. You did not do these things, okay? This was blasphemy, okay? This was like... I mean, it contradicts business one-on-one. Everything on disclosure, everything on security, everything on confidentiality, it opens it up, right? And believe me, there's a lot of business got a lot of dirty secrets, okay? And they don't really want to tell anybody. So in the first several years, I was cast off as a a traitor. Really? Oh, hell, I went the first time... The book came out. I was asked by one of the uh, the American Manufacturing Association to go speak in <laughs> Bellwood, Illinois. And if you knew Bellwood, Illinois, they were the screw machine capital of the world. Okay, that's where all the people made screw machines, right? Mm. These guys all went to work with T-shirts and their shirts rolled up and their cigarettes in there. <laughs> and their business philosophy was to have a strike every year, and then determine what the pay would be. Right? That was their management style. And I go in there talking about open book. I thought they were going to kill me. I i said i never should have let that taxi cab go because i had that taxi cab been there i would have just walked right
1: out wow. okay yeah there were no way they're going to share information when did when did it finally click for people to listen to it and then live by it how how long did that take for people to start accepting this style I can, of business it
0: maybe within a two-year period of time we were going all over the world wow the world bank hired us and asked us to put it in a country. We went to Zambia in two years. We put wow. open book management in a <laughs> copper mine. It's crazy. And it worked, I, must, I, I had to. It was It was amazing. It was really amazing. And it, and it was a great story because the, the, the there was 55,000 people that worked in the business, which is copper mining. And copper mining was 85% of the GDP of Zambia, right? So if we could teach the people how to be able to be outrageously successful in producing copper, the whole quality of the, of the, of the country yeah. would raise, okay? The Brits had trained these people. They spoke beautiful English. They're the most beautiful people you ever saw. But they didn't know anything about business. It was back to the, it was back, pick, 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 shovel, shovel, shovel. They thought the more they picked, the more they shoveled, the more profitable <laughs> they were going to be, all right? Yeah. Once we got in there and we kind of showed them everything and showed them, like they had negotiated the technology contract from Japan because Japan was smart enough to see where technology was going. And they negotiated a contract with Zambia that if they got the coal, if they got the, their copper out in the first five days, they would pay them within a 10-day period of time. Because Japan wanted to get in front of everybody, right? Mm. Now, that was a great contract. The problem is they never told the miners. Okay. So what happens if you deliver it the last part of the month, you didn't get paid for 60 days. Oh, wow. So you get this massive disconnect. Ad, yeah, disconnect. And it's also controlled on a marketplace; it's fixed. Okay, I mean, because they're all playing the hedges and things of this nature. So, what we were able to do was get the copper out first, and we taught them productivity. We taught them overhead absorption, and it was a riot. <laughs> I mean, we had we had one. I will never forget this. We had one guy there that was just he. Some people have gifts in your organization; other people don't have. Uh, he could separate the the ore, the iron and the ore, from the copper and the, and the dirt. He, because everything he produced was just absolutely quality, right? Yeah. But he was an alcoholic, and he never showed up for two days, okay? <laughs> so I went out to him one time, and I said, Hanka, I said, you are killing us, okay? You've got the most, you're one of the top person here. I said, we are losing a fortune. And he looked at me, he goes, oh, Mr. Stack, he said, we're not losing any money. I go, what do you mean we're not losing any money? He goes, as long as the copper's in the gallon. He said, how could I lose money? <laughs>
1: Think about that, yeah. okay? <laughs> so we had to teach them that. Just basic stuff. It's not like you had to teach them, you know, world economics or politics. Okay, so we had to, we, our part of our program
0: is that we we have a lot of incentive programs on projects, right? So these guys were putting in, a, in a, another mine shaft, right? And the engineers had laid it out and everybody had laid it out. And we said, okay, what if these guys put it in early? Mm. Could they earn, you know, somewhat of a month's pay if we can get it in no, there's no way they can get in. There's no way they yeah. can get in. I said, okay, but what if they do? Would you go along with us taking what profit you don't have in your plan right now and create an incentive pool? So we did. We then <laughs> they created... They were done 11 days early, yeah. okay? And they were enough to get one month's pay, okay, because of getting it early. Boy, that went through the
1: entire mind saying, with me, I want to be next. I want to yeah. be next. Right. right. So, Yeah, we learned that actually from your book as well. Uh, Whenever we were doing our vans initially, a kind of industry standard for us for a high-quality built van is like a high-quality built boat. You can't really mass-produce it according to the engineers, according to the CEOs. And so it was taking us about six months. Well, I had this idea after reading your book. Why not ask the guys? Guys, how quickly can you build a
0: book? So simple.
1: Yeah, we gathered the guys on a conference table, got them coffee, got them donuts. They were like, guys, how can we build this yeah. van quicker? Yeah. Jack, we're down to 10 days to build a yeah. van. People don't believe us. Like, yeah. they come, like, we have to see this. And it's, like, simple stuff. Like, for me, I was thinking, you know, let's put the lifts and do the suspension wheels and tires in the beginning. Yeah. Well, if you do that in the beginning, no, no work can be done in the end. Yeah, right. So the mechanic is like, I've been, I've been wanting to do this, but my supervisor have been shutting it's me down. It's got to go in the end. Yeah. And then I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, but everyone in the industry does it in the beginning. Yeah. Why would we do it in the end? It's right. like you, you trust them. So we trust them. Yeah. And we moved it to the end. Yeah. And now that van is not sitting empty for five days. It's yeah. getting work done. Yeah. And then in the final stage, whenever it's already PDI'd and there's a collection of them, they can do all their work. Yeah. And you just, you listen to that front line. It, You're it, absolutely right.
0: We learned that when Japan was kicking our ass in the 80s, okay? And wh- And if you read anything on manufacturing, the press was killing us. They were calling us the Rust Belt.
1: They were, <laughs>
0: they were telling us that if we don't, do something about productivity in the United States, our kids were a little worse than any generation in the wow. history of the United States. It was horrible. There was a piece called, if Japan can, why can't we? I mean, it was an editorial, it was an NBC documentary, and it just torched us. And what we began to realize is that the only difference between us and Japan is A, the, the, the Japanese trusted each other, and B, they had a very simple philosophy. As knows how to do the job better than the person that's doing the job. <laughs> okay if if you were to look at where I was for you know in those fourteen years, okay, we knew how to tell them how to do the job okay i have never asked them to improve productivity yeah it's 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 what we're supposed to be doing isn't it yeah. aren't we supposed to be treating people like respect i mean isn't every job have significant value, and why should we devalue anything it's a, it's a lost lost situation.
1: So yeah, i was a very smart move on your part. I appreciate that. Um, your your inspiration. I recently noticed it applies in the office as well. Yeah, I noticed one of my office administrators really struggling with her job, running yeah. around the office, and I, I kind of took her aside. And I'm like, hey, you know, your productivity's not up. You yeah. always seem kind of distracted. There's something going on in your life. Yeah. And she goes, Pavel, no, just my job makes no sense. I'm doing so many different departments' jobs. Yeah. I'm like, okay, write your own job description. And yeah. I gave her a blank piece of page, and I had her write her own ideal job description. Yeah. I looked at it, I'm like, wow, this really makes sense. She's in one side of the office. Yeah, right. It's strategic. It's really focused. And I'm like, well, who's going to do these other jobs that you're no longer doing? She's like, well, if you have your other managers write their own job descriptions. You'll notice that there's things that I'm doing in their departments yeah. for me, and it just makes no sense. Yeah. But this is so how everyone else is doing it. Yeah. You Google you know, admin job description, that's yeah. what comes up on Google. Right. And so we started having our managers write in the office write their own job descriptions, and I just see yeah. tremendous, tremendous results from that. That's brilliant. Um, let me just give
0: you and all your readers a tip is that nobody writes a job description better than ChatGBT. <laughs> they don't. Really? Honest to God. And any, you will find any job out there, hit ChatGBT, <laughs> ask for a job descriptions. It would take me months to be that articulate. Really? Oh, it's the most powerful thing you'll ever see. That in was actually life. one of my questions is how much do you use AI? I use check- it for everything. Really? And I really and I readily admit it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so like when we close out the year, I go, Hey, it's your evaluation time. I go, and guess what? I got it from G, <laughs> G- <laughs> <laughs> so you I can't argue that. with me, you gotta argue with that artificial intelligent yeah, guy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, and I just walked out of the middle of it. Yeah.
0: But it was poetry,
1: okay. okay? And you notice it kind of learns your style and I, talk back, it. It. Yeah. No, I, I talk back to it. No, I actually talked
0: back to it, and it talked back to me. I mean, I told it one time, I said, look, I don't like to use the word uh, employees. I would use the word associates. And then they wrote back, okay, we'll use associates. You know? <laughs>
1: I mean, yeah. yeah, it's extraordinary. We use it every day as well. It's, just, it's, it's fabulous. Okay? Yeah, that's it, amazing. It's fabulous. Um, what, yeah. what do you see the future of AI technology? I just,
0: there's all these people who have these fears of it, okay? But, I mean, I I can see, you know, going out there right now on the floor and having these horrible jobs that people have to go through, I I could see AI taking a picture of it and then searching its data. on How do you eliminate that job? And what are the best practices and the depth of knowledge that they have to make that person's job easier? I can see all that occurring, Okay.
1: Wow! You know? And I do disturbing. think it's
0: occurring for the better, and it's coming at a time when the labor market's really bad. And you know we've got to figure out either it's going to be automation or we're going to figure out that we've got to do something entirely different. And we're in a labor-intensive market, yeah. all right? So I just think, to me, it's coming
1: in at the right time for us. I've noticed you live a pretty quiet life in regards to social media. What is your recommendation for this next generation in regards to social, social media? Yeah, I'll tell you one thing. I, I as as much as that question about AI
0: about <laughs> is it dangerous? Social media is even more dangerous. Okay. I mean if, if it I just was trying to explain to you a little bit earlier that in our accountabilities going forward for next year, the number one accountability we have at twelve hour subsidiaries is a new sales process.
1: Because
0: hmm. we got seduced into online digital marketing, digital sales. We got HubSpots. we got how many hits we got to have to make conversions? Okay, we're spending millions and millions of dollars, and I don't have any leads.
1: Mm.
0: Okay, I mean, and then you wipe out your entire organization because you said, ah, we can do this all online. Okay, and all of a sudden your sales are falling down. You're mm. losing the relationship. You don't even know who to talk to in terms of your marketplace. Okay, talk to people.
1: Yeah,
0: let's bring the eyeball the eyeball back again. Okay, I actually, actually, <laughs> I'm really thinking about. Putting a sign in this college saying, Hey, look at each other. (laughs) Hey, say hello to each other. Okay, let's get back together with each other. Okay, so I think collaboration is the the key right now. You really got to be able to figure out when I see collaboration working, because it really was shut down because of the pandemic. The minute we got out, people were really glad of seeing each other again. Okay, everybody was feeling a little bit more comfortable in terms of being within six feet of somebody. And I think that has a difference. And I do think that if we can just pursue this whole idea of openness and talking to people and get out your head out of your phones and get your earplugs out of your ears, okay? <laughs> I mean, it's like, let's get back to some civility. So yeah. I think the sales process is going to be a hybrid. I think we're going to go back to people, all right? I think we're going to go back to somebody writing a thank you to a customer or somebody thinking about a birthday card for a customer or you're going to
1: be able i think we lost relationships for sure yeah i i truly believe it i experienced it in my life people ask me all the time pavel how do you sell such high dollar products and i always share the story of my first million dollar sale yeah so i I remember the first time i sold a million dollar expedition truck and at the end i asked the gentleman i'm like hey can i ask you a personal question he goes sure i'm like why did you buy my truck? There's competition that's been in business 20, right. 30 years. I'm year one, yeah. new in the industry. And he goes, "Paul, I didn't buy your truck. I bought you. Yeah, that's cool. And that was an, like a moment for me. Ah, of, got a new sales process. New <laughs> sales process. It's yeah, right. people, it's relationship. Yeah. Fast forward to today, we recently had a really big dealer take on our line in Colorado. And it's like yeah. one of the biggest in the Midwest. And they have like 14 locations and I mean, they don't, they don't order a couple of units. They order yeah. a lot of units. We're talking yeah. right now like 70, 80, 100 unit order. Yeah. And for us, that's like, whoa, we, we didn't yeah. do that in a year before. Yeah. And now we're talking, how do we deliver such a long yeah. order? And I asked him the same question. I'm like, I asked the owner of this large company, I'm like, why us? We're small. We're new. Like, yeah. We're the new kids on the block. Yeah. We're still figuring stuff out. Our units aren't perfect. We're trying to make them perfect. Like we're, yeah. we're trying to learn how to build a better engine. Yeah. And same answer. It gave me the goosebumps. He's like, Paul, I didn't buy your company. I didn't buy your yeah. product. I bought into you. Yeah. And he's like, so long as you're there and you're listening and yeah. you're improving the product, taking my feedback. And well, let me just, tell you, the Kool-Aid gets even easier to drink when you
0: have your talent in your organization, and you allow the customer even to see your talent, then it really flips. You, you went into our organization, and every one of our people are selling.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You,
0: <laughs> you got the buzzer, you got the feeling. You yeah. buy something for them based. Look at we all know healthy companies. Yeah. All right. We, we've been through them. We know unhealthy companies. You yeah. can feel it when you walk into it. When if you got that feeling, you got that touch, and you bring your customers in and they see that. And then your people see that there's a customer on the other side of that product line. What did you do? Yeah. I mean, you set the scenario for a sweet, sweet outcome. Yeah. Now, you can build on it because what we do now is we do crazy stuff. Like, we take advantage of the Ozarks, and we'll have contests with our dealers on who sells the most. If whoever sells the most spends 30, comes down here and spends three days fishing in the boat with our hourly employees, wow. okay? How closer are you gonna to get to a customer than an 18-inch bass boat for eight hours eight in a tournament? Yeah. And okay. you, you build that relationship. It's like they're like forever. They know yeah. everything about their families. These yeah. guys have developed a long-term
1: relationship. You think they're gonna buy from somebody else? And you would think common sense, right? Why spend millions on ads that aren't bringing results where you s- And what mechanics, okay, what service people, what parts people ever get to go anywhere exactly, on a, an With a client. Like, yeah, right, 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 You're right. Yeah. It's like blasphemy. Like, no, don't let yeah. the production worker talk to the client. Yeah. And, but once we put the production worker in with the customer, we get a better production worker. Oh, yeah. He's no longer building. He doesn't want to let the guy down. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like he's building for a friend. Yeah. Yeah, we started sharing a story. So every van, when it gets a client, we share that client's story. That's awesome. Yeah, and That's I mean, awesome. we've had some powerful stories. I remember one of our yeah. uh, first units that we did last year. Uh, it was a father whose child was uh, born. Um, handicapped from a young age, so she couldn't walk, she couldn't mm-hmm. uh, move her hands. And Immobile, so yeah. yeah she, she he, he wanted to travel the country. Yeah. And so we built a unit customized to him. That'd be cool. Yeah, and now these, yeah. The, the employees working for it, I mean, I remember they would stay late to get it yeah. done in time, and yeah. it just adds so much meaning to the work that yeah. they do. There's
0: a philosophy that came out of IBM that said you could be absolutely perfect, and if you are, they're not going to know you. Yeah, but if you make one mistake and you respond to that mistake, and they see the response that you had that mistake, you have a customer for life. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It isn't when things are going well, it's when I hear the stories of somebody put an engine in a car and drove out to Denver,
1: you know, to get the guy out of the field. That's sweet. That's <laughs> yeah. the sweet spots, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. I I remember this, just recently there was a time when I I really counted on a bank to come through for us yeah and they did it in that moment of discouragement and like what do you do and how you overcome it for me yeah i went and talked to a handful of other banks I had two offers that same day yeah what do you do in those moments of when you're discouraged in, in your business when you're anticipating for something and it doesn't come through for you i'd probably stop and have a beer that night you know that's <laughs> so, it <laughs> yeah
0: <laughs> and wait a little bit nerve slowing down and then i try you know i'll tell you another thing is it it'll stick with me all through even in sleep I mean I've I don't know why but I've come up with some crazy solution in the middle of the night <laughs> All right, but I'll stay with it until yeah. we come up to a reasonable conclusion but one of the things I am very very accustomed to is disappointment so over time when you're my age and you've been exactly through very similar experiences I would never trust the bank until I got it I never mm. spiked the ball in the end zone <laughs> until I got it. So, yeah. I, you know, you you do have these premonitions, you know. Yeah. But there are guidelines and there are guardrails, okay, and I think
1: that you probably, your guardrails get a little bit differently when you get more experience. Yeah, it's it's really true. I remember the first time that I just was trying to explain to my employees that net profit yeah, right. doesn't go in my pocket. Right, yeah, like, right. We reinvest right. into X, Y, and Z, and they're like, yeah, oh, you can have you to show teach us, cash well. you, how do you overcome that? Because I'm sure because cash goes, you, you don't stop at profit. You take, you
0: go through where the profit goes, you know, and the profit only goes to seven spots. That's all it goes to, right? Yeah. And what we do is say, look, the idea is to figure out how to put a little bit in every pot. Okay, yeah, yeah. it goes in inventory, goes in receivables, it goes in compensation. Okay, it goes in fixed assets. Okay, it isn't that complicated, unless you just stop at net income. Yeah. You know, like right now. Yeah. Um, we, we get, we, we're now going into something that's really cool. It's our five-year plan is firing, finally it's got a lot of quality. If you haven't thought about a five-year plan, okay, our five-year plan is really cool because anytime they want to do something or think something, they just plug it in and they can see the impact in terms of what's going on. Okay. So they, we began to realize that some of the wants was much greater than the EBITDA, but the, the cash flow would be inside the company. And so now they had to make a decision in terms of did they want to do that or do they want to take it out of their piggy bank, Okay. Those are the greatest learning lessons in life, okay? When they have to make the decision. Yeah, yeah. Guys, you want $70 million in terms of capital and you're only bringing in 50? You're either going to go to debt or you're going to go take it out of your (laughs) savings account. Well, I would tell you this. One of the things I learned that if every kid was born, I would recommend it be mandatory to put $100 in their savings account. Because any of you that have had kids know that they'll never spend their own money. Okay? <laughs> yes, they'll spend your money. Your money. <laughs> yeah, and so let's say you give an allowance, or you give them, you know, they hold on to. That's the greatest lesson in the world. Okay, yeah. that they understand that kind of financial ownership. So, our people know that it's their money. Yeah. Right now, it's where the cash goes. Yeah. Okay,
1: and so you can easily outrun your net income. That's interesting. You say that. That was one of my questions to you: Is how did your early childhood? Influence or play a role in your success later in life. Oh, that's really c- cruel, you
0: know um, when we were growing up, everything went to the family, okay? I mean whether it was paperboy, whether it was selling Christmas trees, selling blind craft for the blind door to door, I mean everything went to the family, and I remember early hiding some of my money from the family. <laughs> And I had, I had a hole next to a uh, chimney. Mm-hmm. And then one day my dad was cleaning out the leaves in the gutter and he looks down <laughs> and there's all the money that I had been saving. Okay. That had an influence on me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So um, I, the influence was, and I should have referred it to the last question that you had, is that I, I'm very, very, very good at having contingencies. Mm-hmm. All right. I don't have all my eggs in one basket. Okay. I believe that if we're going to do something... We got about thinking about what's going to go wrong if you do it. Yeah. So I just moved. You know, my dad took all the money, and I never put it back in the same spot again. <laughs> I learned from that lesson is put it in a lot of different spots. Yeah. Diversify yeah. your savings accounts so your dad can't find
1: it. Yeah, that's that's true. I grew up really poor. Like, we. Grew oh, yeah. up, uh, it was hard. Yeah. It was really, really hard. And one time we were out of money completely, and my dad wasn't getting paid till the following day. Yeah. And we needed Uh, We needed 20-ish dollars to make ends meet that day. Yeah. And I was just out by the mailbox, and I literally inside the mailbox found $20. Yeah. <laughs> we to this day don't know if it was a neighbor or what. We just believe God sent those $20. Well, he we put you on the line, brother. You're going to keep it or give <laughs> yeah. it to the family. <laughs> well, my dad was smart. So for me, I didn't know at that time what hardships was other yeah. than, you know, if you, if you yeah. had something nice and it was taken away, we didn't have yeah. anything. So I didn't, right. I didn't have something to compare it to. Right. So I remember coming to my dad and showing him, Dad, I have $20. And I thought it was just a $1 bill. So my dad was wise. He's like, I'll trade it for you for $3 bills. Yeah, right. And so he gave me three $1, and I gave him the $20. And I remember those three $1, and they they were the world to me. I couldn't spend them, and I kept them for the longest time ever. I, I always tell young people, I think the best thing that can happen to someone is be born into poverty or like hard situations where you learn the value of money. I would go one step further and just try to teach people the disaster of debt. Yeah.
0: Okay, because debt kills you. Yeah. You know, and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And we tried. we actually have family friendly financials that we teach our people so they can avoid debt. I've had some associates have nine aspects of debt and watch them get down to two. I've seen wow. some of our people get into payday loans. We had one lady that took out $2,000 for Christmas to buy her kids toys. She went to the payday loan, and by and this went on for a year. By the time we got involved in it, she, her interest rate was three hundred and fifty percent. Unbelievable. And so we actually went to the to the savings and loan, and said, so we'll send you a check. The guy goes, "Are you kidding me?" He goes, "I'm getting paid by the minute. You come down here and pay it off." <laughs> they wouldn't even take the money. It. They wouldn't take it over the, over the
1: over the phone. Yeah. So it's sad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you kind of mentioned how you guys. Help employees with their personal financials. Is that just through the way you do business, or do you take it a step further and actually give these courses on personal financials? We
0: do anything, anything,
1: everything, okay? Even when they get their
0: 401ks, um, we will give them the 401k in a balance sheet. Really? And it'll have their 401k money in there, and then it'll have their equity in the company in there. Then they're supposed to go home. And then they add in their assets and they tag out their liabilities so they get some <laughs> idea of their net worth. And I get, there's people walking around the factory saying, man, I improved my net worth by about 20%. That's the language that wow. you want to hear, right? So, yeah, we teach them that. And then we have emergency funds. And If they have a crisis, they can get up to $2,000. If their truck breaks down or they had a house fire or something like that, that's all subsidized by us and the associate, all the monies, and wow. so you know the company they own the company, so it's the associates and uh yeah, we have multiple we have credit unions that if someone gets in trouble they're available to take out a payday loan and be replaced with a more conventional loan, and then we'll back the loan you know for the people so they can get out of debt you know, and yeah, we have all these kind of courses that are really just absolutely plus we do the game we do the open book I mean when they're doing income statements and cash flow statements in their in their huddles okay in their staff meetings
1: um they call, it's automatic they just yeah. begin to understand the concepts of it i can even imagine not only the quality of life and how much it increases but the quality and the work and production and the impacts it has oh it's the mindset you know it's the mindset when somebody doesn't have to worry about something like that as yeah. well you know that's extraordinary yeah um what would your in conclusions kind of be a key takeaway for this younger generation the uh, in In business and life in general how, okay, here, how here's the most simplistic absolute statistical
0: sixty six percent of our country is economically illiterate well wow. okay, and that's a fact and you'll see it I'll see it every... you'll once I told you this, start listening to all the people that talk about the catastrophic event of being illiterate right. Which means that you got about a 34% chance of having a reasonable conversation with somebody, okay, when you have that literacy rate that's so high. Wow. And this is, this is, you have, go to FINRA, you can get it right off of FINRA, and that will tell you by population. And the younger people are even getting worse, okay, they're even, they're even failing these very simple, they don't understand a thing like compounded interest, that, that, forget that, that's a zero, Wow. Okay. Yet that's one of the most powerful tills at a young age that someone really needs to be focusing on because yeah. it makes a significant difference in their life. Okay. So if we're not going to do, if we're not going to figure out how to be able to cure this disease or financial say we're screwed. We're in trouble. Yeah. There's no question about it. I mean, how do we solve that? Well, I think with practices, I think businesses got to be educators. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. You know, I'm not going to point the finger at the school system, but the, Something got us to that lousy statistic. Yeah. But I think if we're gonna have successful companies, we gotta realize that we gotta be the educators. We gotta start teaching. We had to teach compounded fractions. Okay. I mean we just gotta go back to some basic skills that they yeah. can understand and
1: get them to the point of getting it. And once they get to the point of getting it, it changed their life forever. So well, how long do you see it take to take like if a new employee comes and they're, you know, financially illiterate. How long do you, do you see on average it takes to kind of educate them and bring them up to speed? We don't even think that, uh, we don't even start for like 90 days. I mean, they,
0: it's, it's, it's been very interesting for us because of our system, okay, to allow people to hear it and see it and feel it but not understand it. They go into staff meetings, our staff meetings fill out an income statement, Right. So, if you don't know anything your first day at work, and you're sitting with people going, What's sales? What's COGS? What's engineering expense? What's sales expense? Okay, what's warranty expense? Well, it's kind of hard, but eventually, you know, you get it by osmosis to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. All right, so you let them get the osmosis side of it, and then it piques their interest. If you go in there and give them a book right away and say, I want you to read this thing, you know, it's, but they're going to sit there and go, Oh, now I'm connecting. Okay, now I know what they mean by margins. Yeah. I'm telling you, you go somebody on the street and you say what is the difference between margin and markup you're going to have only 34 percent of the people who are going to get that right yeah okay and so what we're trying to do is get the category of terms and then we connect
1: the category of terms with the actions that we have inside the company that's very well said um, a, a part of the podcast of what we're doing is i'm sure you've noticed walking around campus uh-huh. attire has changed drastically yeah. generation to generation generation yeah, yeah. uh what is your kind of go-to attire uh to day-to-day basis are you kind of buying into this whole sweatpants and t-shirt or are you still suit and tie uh i'll tell you there are
0: times that i've really been tired i love throwing a pair of jeans and a shirt going <laughs> to work okay and so there are there are times okay yeah. i do that all right
1: uh, most of the time out of respect I'll I'll have a suit on. Yeah. That's extraordinary. What 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 do you recommend for the new generation that are going to class and traveling and going to interviews and I mean I, I'm sure you've conducted some interviews. We have people coming to interviews yeah. in shorts and a and a t shirt. And that's not that's not just entry level production workers. That's no I you know, managerial position. Yeah, I got it. I got it. Do you it. do you accommodate that or do you hold true I to your values? I will tell you that since from two thousand seventeen
0: to maybe just recently is a year ago. Um, we didn't understand. We just hired everybody. and We were drinking out a fire hose, OK? When you're growing 20%, 20, 20, 20 20%, 20% and you've got retention rates that have changed significantly because kids now are leaving for any kind of reasons whatsoever, you're getting ghosted in terms of the marketplace. I think we hired 900 people in one year. Wow. It would have been 2021, 20, OK? And uh, when you're dealing at that kind of a rate, you really kind of mess up because you're taking anybody. Within the last year and a half, we finally said, we just got to find the right people. You know, Colin said a great thing about finding the right people in the right seats on the bus, right? Exactly. Now we have to make the right seats, okay? So now we're not only taking the right people, but we're putting them in the right seats. And we're discovering that everybody has a natural talent. And if you can figure out at the beginning of that recruitment or that at the beginning of the exercise in terms of what the natural talent of somebody is and you can match them up to the position that best satisfy their natural talents, you've got a winner. Yeah. So we have been for the last year and a half doing these analysis in terms of, you know, is that person an analyzer? Is that person a driver? Is that person a director? Okay, is that person? And we have now slowed down our interview process. Yeah. Okay, and we are so focusing on can we figure out the natural talent to the talent of the position? Because if you can combine those, your productivity is going to go to the ceiling. You're going to get someone that's going to love a job, okay, because it's in their guts, it's in their talent, okay, and you're going to get the best of both worlds. So we were just going for anybody that breathed
1: yeah okay. Uh, it's uh interesting you mentioned that we we learned that the hard way too, but my inspiration for that was there's a big holding company uh, here in Missouri, and they hold a semi truck uh dealerships yeah. and yeah their hiring process is so inspiring. So their first interview is over dinner. They yeah. take you out to dinner, yeah and they observe yeah how do you hold yourself? Yeah. How do you hold your conversation? Uh, yeah where are you at in does life? your kid just eat chicken strips yeah yeah i and had one of those <laughs> the kid drove me crazy yeah yeah <laughs> they know? have this bah, th- you're out <laughs> <laughs> and they have this like it was like a five-step process i went through it yeah. post-college and yeah. it really shaped me into you know uh higher slow fire fast yeah. what is your thoughts on that i've learned from everybody i can tell you there's so many things that i
0: learned, uh, I learned when I, I, I learned this from a lady who was up running a steel mill up in Pennsylvania, and she was giving a speech on how to hire the best salesperson, okay? And so I was sitting there going, steel? <laughs> Things of this nature? She said, yeah, she said, we learned a long time ago. I said, you want to hire the best salesperson? She said, hire an assistant golf pro. Huh. And then she started to break down the requirements of assistant golf pro. They work an incredible amount of hours, they're treated like shit, okay? They're competitive, they dress really well, they're great <laughs> salespeople. And believe it or not, I've got five of the best assistant golf pro sales managers you're going to have in your company. So what we're trying to do is learn. We just keep learning. Yeah, right?
1: keep learning. Yeah, we it's just so keep general. learning. Like you
0: said before, we failed by trying to have one size fit all.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. That was acceptable at one period of time. Now the marketplace is so different and the shortages have such an impact on it. We're just going to have to be patient. Yeah. Okay. We're going to have to give people some runway. But it... I learned in the last year and a half, it's in the recruitment, all right? Um, We had trouble with 16 to 26 years old. Okay, that's that group that you're talking about, right? (laughs) Yes, sir. (laughs) So I studied all practices. I actually went to the basic training programs at the Marine Corps. If you have have three basic training programs in the Marine Corps, they have a kid for 12 weeks, usually between 16 and 26, and at the end of that 12 weeks, they come out of there, and their motto is never leave a person behind. I go, oh, you teach me this baby, yeah, right? Yeah. So I studied this, and I go, well, you really can't break down people like they do. <laughs> you know? But there's some elements of this yeah, that you can't. Yeah. So studying that, I, we went and we talked to the colonels and we talked to people like that They said, look, we got the best recruitment in the world. Wow. Okay? It wasn't the process
1: of what they had in. It was the, that moved us into the whole idea of studying recruitment. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very true. I remember my friend and I in college, uh, we started getting approached by recruiters. Yeah. I mean, they, they get really personal really fast. Yeah. They'll take you out to dinner. They'll accommodate you. They like, yeah. make you a friend. And if we were to take those principles, I can't even imagine the success we yeah. have in recruiting. That's extraordinary.
0: Well, we have a big, uh, very, very, very large accounting firm in this town, okay, who's grown significantly. Every class in accounting in Springfield, Missouri, they get the freshman class roster, wow, okay, before the kids start their first day of school Wow, and that accounting company is working on every one of those accounting students, <laughs> oh, wow, the minute they step into college
1: that's extraordinary, yeah, yeah, you got to start early. I yeah. loved how um at uh oh, I think it was one of your subsidiaries. Partnered up with OTC oh yeah, yeah, and now OTC goes to elementary yeah. schools, yeah, right, and they're right. in elementary school, giving them tours of yeah, right. manufacturing that's, yeah. a, that's. I think that's what's going to take. Well, you know, we used to have um, they taught
0: us that uh, a kid makes a big impression by the time they're in third grade, so we said, well, okay, what if we decided to open up our factories to third grade classes? So we used to have a program where third graders go to class. Mm-hmm. So we built a whole curriculum about picking them on the buses, having the lunches, running them through the businesses. And then we ran them through an interview, and they had to fill out job applications, okay? <laughs> and then they had to take the job application, they had to get a reference from their family. And what we wow. didn't know is that sometimes families never even praise their kid, okay? Yeah. So we ran them through this, this course, okay, and we took them through tours. Who do you think was the most impressive person the third graders loved, I can't even guess the forklift truck driver. Really, okay, yeah. was, he made that. They made that, those kids would run up to that forklift truck driver. And that truck driver was good for two years. Wow. Okay, these kids were looking up to him. All right. Yeah, so
1: that's amazing. I do
0: think there's a hell. I think that's just going back to business being educators.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, we made an impact on those kids. I've seen them now. Some of them even coming into our businesses. Okay, because yeah. of the program that we had and, and one of the funny things about it is that when you did an interview. We sat there and said, oh, your penmanship is not good because we can't even read your penmanship. <laughs> and why did you not fill out everything in the application? It was really a, yeah. a really intensive interview. And then you asked the question, um, you asked the question of uh, what was the most difficult question that they had? I mean, they cried at the references <laughs> that their parents had brought in. Okay, Wow. But uh, we taught them so much about the job. Oh, the one that was really impressive we drug test. Really? Yeah. Can you imagine telling <laughs> third graders? You know that. It's kind of like an <laughs> early, early warning system. Okay. Well, a lot of them said later on in our lives, that was one of the things that we, we didn't know. We, wow. we didn't think about the fact that we'd be tested for drugs. We just wanted to take the
1: drugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So from an early age, you instill that into them. That's we have all amazing. kinds of programs like that. That's yeah. amazing. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time nice and meeting to, with us, Jack. Great it's to be here. It's it's astonishing how you continue to inspire, and I hope that you continue to do wow. that. Uh, I know. You-